This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Tech Talk, brought to you by Cellcom Business. BFM 89.9, the business station. I'm Rich Bradbury. This is Matt Splained. The metaverse. What is it? Where can you find it? And what can you use it for? Is it the future of the internet or just this year's tech bro hype? Matt goes meta on this week's Matt Splained. And I'm just wondering if I'm going to have to sit through 30 minutes of bad Matt and meta puns, Matt. Hey, Rich. Um, I have avoided it uh low-hanging fruit and all that so what we will probably be talking uh, a fair bit about is uh, altered uh, altered and alternate reality on this week's show so it's worth pointing out that uh, though we're talking about augmented realities here most of us have actually experienced the opposite over the, the last 18 months you know depending on where you live most of us have had sort of very restricted or limited realities over this pandemic period Mm. so in a way this technology or this next step of the development of this technology is at the same time both baffling and logical because you know i'm not sure if i'm even allowed to go to my next door neighbor's house and (laughs) sit down and watch tv with them yet the kind of technologies that we're talking about today with this uh, idea of the metaverse would actually enable my mum and I, who are thousands of kilometres apart, to sit on a virtual sofa and watch a movie together uh, in ways that would seem very real to both of us. So it's a really weird uh, and odd juxtaposition, you know, Mm. that there might be legal or moral or physical barriers that prevent someone from walking across the street to someone else's house, but they can share very real digitally directed experiences with someone who could be anything from you know 10 meters away to 10,000 kilometers why digitally directed well i don't want to jump too far ahead i know i've got a habit of doing that especially as i haven't even defined what a metaverse is or what it could be but when we talk about a lot of digital experiences whether it's facebook or zoom or just a game mm. we're essentially on a shared platform And this idea of shared platforms will certainly be a part of any metaverse. It might be a virtual office space inside Microsoft Teams, for example. But that experience of watching TV with my mum, there may be the potential to mix and match that a little. For example, we may be watching the the show on our own TVs, but our avatars or projected images appear on an AR overlay on a pair of glasses and we're seeing the TV beyond that. You sitting on your mum's couch and she sits on yours. I know that sounds strange, but yes, you know, we could huh. both appear to the other in a, a natural, if digital, uh, way as part of the surroundings. But, you know, that's probably generations and generations of the technology away, which is to say it'll probably be commonplace by Christmas. <laughs> but, you know, going back to that overarching idea of the metaverse itself, the concept will probably be familiar to you if you've read or watched uh, Ready Player One by Ernest Klein mm-hmm. or read uh, Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash, which I have to admit I'm still only halfway through having started it a few years ago. 
Okay, um, so let's try and inject some context uh, and define um, exactly what the metaverse is. Well, this is why it's difficult, because in a sense, the metaverse is all things to all people, or probably more accurately, some things to some people and other things to other people. And I know that's not a remotely helpful thing to say, but (laughs) we are talking about context here. And the metaverse is a concept. It doesn't exist in a meaningful way at the moment. It may exist in some shape in the future, but it isn't something that a group of people are sitting down and planning. They're not designing the metaverse. They're not drawing up a structure or a charter for the metaverse. Uh, To simplify things, you know, try thinking of the metaverse as the internet on steroids, where it stops being something that you access solely via a screen. So it's like the Oasis in Ready Player One or a grown-up version of uh, Fortnite or Minecraft. Well, this is where it gets tricky, and I'm glad you brought up Fortnite. You know, all of the places that you just mentioned are digital environments or ecosystems. Mm. So this is a bit like looking at Facebook versus the web versus the internet. Facebook in this example is like Fortnite. Uh, I'm sure we'll get House of Derision on Twitter for that analogy, but, you know, bear with me. Facebook is a, a place you go to to socialize, to consume content. Increasingly, it's a place you go to to shop. Maybe you even play some games there. You know, we've talked in the past about cheap smartphones and feature phones that have essentially positioned uh, Facebook as the internet, as the web in some countries. And you can consume web content on Facebook, but often only because it's been transferred into that ecosystem that Facebook operates. Versus the web, where you use a browser to choose or or search for content yourself. Yeah, even though that's a partial picture as well, because the part of the web that a search engine accesses those indexed pages is actually a, a very small portion of the entire web, which consists mostly of the deep web and a little bit of it, which is the dark web. Mm. Now, the the dark web, as most people know, is that part of the web that can only be uh, accessed with uh, specialist browsers like Tor. It may be used for secret or encrypted communications, but it has become infamous for being the home of illegal marketplaces that sell everything from drugs to murder for hire to hacking services and tools. However, there's nothing sinister about the deep web. This is where all those unlisted servers live because Mm. the companies we work for don't want all their servers and directories being indexed by Google and being available with a quick search. So the metaverse is the new web? Well, this is where the parallels make it different, uh, make it difficult rather. You know, a company like Fortnite, and we'll get to it in more detail later, is positioning itself as a potential metaverse. To an extent, Roblox, the gaming site that's mostly aimed at kids, is doing something similar. But they exist mostly, not entirely, but mostly as the Facebook, as a metaverse type model, which is also interesting because Facebook also has an eye on becoming a metaverse. (laughs) So you could say that this is the metaverse as a platform or an environment approach. It's an oversimplification, but it kind of works for our purposes. 
So a model with Facebook and Fortnite and Roblox operating their own metaverses is the web as a metaverse model. Yeah, so there are issues <laughs> about interoperability and data sharing, but I'm getting ahead of myself again. The likelihood is that the actual metaverse we end up with will be the metaverse as internet rather than the metaverse as web. So, you know, there's a key distinction there. The internet is the infrastructure that the web operates on. It's the servers and the data links and, you know, all of the pipes. The usual analogy is that the internet is roads and highways that link the cities and towns and islands that form the web, which is why I said that this is the internet on steroids at the start. The metaverse will incorporate all the things that we know about the internet now, but it will add additional levels of infrastructure and functionality to that existing internet. In what shape exactly? We don't know yet. So metaverse is a useful tool to describe an expanding universe of the internet that will incorporate the transfer of much larger quantities of data. It will likely incorporate some sort or many types of blockchain technology and will be home to a truly new and diverse kind of digital economy. Essentially, you're saying it will be something, probably, but nobody knows what that might be. I know it's not a very satisfying answer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people probably just expected me to talk about virtual reality and augmented reality and say, mm. you know, hey, it's an immersive digital world. And that is going to be part of it. It may even be the part that most of us will be most familiar with. And it'll be the part that we interact with most often. But it won't be the most important part of the metaverse, just as Facebook isn't the most important part of the web or the internet. Mm. And astonishingly, the internet is still largely free. It was developed mostly with public money and, of course, the time and effort of thousands of enthusiasts who wanted to push the boundaries of communication. The web and its layers of monetization came much later. I suppose this is the million or billion dollar question of who's going to control the metaverse. Well, it could even be a, a multi-trillion dollar question mm. because obviously there's huge economic potential here, right? So mm. to give uh, the example we used earlier, uh, Facebook and Microsoft are just two of many companies who realize that uh, in the future, our offices and workspaces are likely to exist in that metaverse. And we've already seen inside some of the uh, larger multiplayer games that there are players in there who are essentially low-wage workers. They do the repetitive grunt work required to mine gold and items that they then sell on to other players. Now, most games prohibit or make it relatively hard to do this kind of commercial transaction. But in the same uh, way that the real world has miners and jewelers and factory staff, the metaverse is likely to have its own versions of these professions as well, as well as numerous new professions, mm. not in that current gray economy sense, but in the sense that you might actually be employed as a gold miner by a company that specializes in mining objects. Pre presumably employees from lower income countries. Yeah, I mean, this is why there are a lot of kinks and inequalities to sort out. Uh, I imagine uh, a lot of companies will be making use or exploiting income level differentials between countries. 
in-game mining has seen an influx of players from countries like Venezuela over recent years because the earnings they make in those games can usually be converted into US dollars. Mm. And hyperinflation in Venezuela has pushed people to work for hard currencies wherever possible, rather than the local currency, the Bolivar. Mm. But it's likely that the emergence of a, a metaverse uh, will create employment opportunities, skill set requirements, and career paths that simply don't currently exist. So it's likely that the the core of the metaverse will be a, a lot more commercially focused than the, the current internet. Well, yeah, as you said, you know, companies see the economic potential here. That's why those mm. companies from Facebook to Fortnite, they're looking at a metaverse with uh, varying degrees of uh, openness and hard ownership. And it's companies like Facebook and Amazon that have the financial war chests to do the research and development and physically build the infrastructure. It's less likely that you'll find governments now who are willing to underwrite that cost, with maybe the exception of China, whose government does invest heavily in tech, but also takes a controlling position in the way that tech is used within its own borders. Mm. And that's why the conversations about the metaverse are really important to have now, because all these different companies are pushing ahead with their own visions of what it is or what it could be. We need to make sure that we get a version of the metaverse that works for us rather than against us more than it works for some commercial entity. It hasn't even been invented yet and is already looking at the worst case scenarios. After the break, the metaverse is coming on Matt's Plane on BFM 89.9. Stay tuned to Tech Talk, brought to you by Cellcom Business. Bring forth Moolah, BFM 89.9. Tech Talk, brought to you by Cellcom Business. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Matt Splained. Um, we're talking about the metaverse today, something intangible or even invented, a bit like Matt himself. Now, Matt, you, you've dodged it so far, but uh, we do have to talk about the VR and the AR aspects of the metaverse. Well, that's fair enough. Nice of you to say I'm invented. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, the AR and VR aspects, that is the popular picture. And it's one of the models that those big companies are looking at. Obviously, Facebook owns Oculus. Microsoft has its HoloLens and virtual divisions. So that would be the ideal route to get into that metaverse. Mm. And I think this is where a lot of the confusion comes in, because it's not that the metaverse will be virtual reality in the same way that, you know, we currently use smartphones to navigate the web now. Our smartphones are not the web. They're just the interface by which we connect to and experience the web. So mm. VR and AR tools will simply be that interface that we use to connect to various aspects of the metaverse. So the VR is essentially a, a consumer-facing layer that provides that user experience. And where does the AR come in then? Well, interestingly, I was listening to the uh, 22nd July edition of the Verge's Vergecast, which was an interview with uh, Mark Zuckerberg about Facebook and its metaverse intentions. And Zuckerberg does acknowledge the limitations of 
bulky VR rigs, even though he produces bulky VR rigs. Mm. And he said uh, that what was really exciting him right now was the rush to uh, fit a computer and a VR rig into something the size of a pair of glasses, that he sees the next big leap in the metaverse's development in terms of miniaturization technology. And I think that's really where we'll start to see these things taking off because think of how you work now. Uh, You know, we have that image of someone sitting hunched over a desk, but most of us do get up and move around quite frequently, even if it's just to go and get a a glass of water. That's not going to be as easy if you're wearing a a VR rig. So think Mm. about that, that sense of disconnection and immobility if you're logged, uh, locked into a VR rig for eight hours a day. Mm. Whereas with a pair of wireless glasses, you can be sitting on the couch next to your virtual mum. Yeah, although uh, I'm not sure she would like being described as virtual, so mm. I'll have to wait for her to listen to the show and uh, let me know. She will. Mm. Um, but it would be much easier, of course, as you said, if you had one wireless set up for both AR and VR, and the glasses simply adapted themselves as required. Now, we're a long way off that point, but one of the interesting points that uh, was raised in that Vergecast episode was uh, the host bringing up the issue of control. Now, Zuckerberg, if I'm passing him correctly, does seem to see the metaverse entirely in the frame of corporate control and ownership, albeit with some public spaces carved out. But as we know from a lot of real-world urban developments, publicly accessible space doesn't necessarily mean publicly owned space. It often means privately owned space, that is granted public visitation rights. And that is an enormous difference. Yeah. Going back to what you were saying about AR, uh, and in that context of control, who would control the information that you see on uh, on the augmented overlays? Well, that's also something that came up in the chat with uh, Mark Zuckerberg, oddly enough. Uh, And it was something that he dodged a little bit. So it's highly likely that In a metaverse, a lot of information about the world around us will simply be lying around waiting for us to access it. So I think in the Vergecast, they used the example of the US Capitol uh, and what happened in January this year. Uh, And, you know, that overlay, that information overlay could equally read, one, it's the home of the US Houses of Congress. Two, it's the site of a violent insurrection in 2021. Or three, it was the site of an uprising against tyranny in mm. 2021. Mm. So whoever controls those filters and layers will have enormous power to shape what we think about the world, both inside and outside the metaverse, by controlling those layers of information. All right. So we've kind of uh, skirted around some of the different models that the uh, metaverse might take. But um, Fortnite seems to be coming up quite a bit. Yeah, there's way more to the metaverse than we're going to be able to get through in this single show. So this is definitely a topic that we'll be coming back to. Uh, Venture capitalist, blogger and essayist Matthew Ball has an interesting primer series on his website with different aspects of the metaverse and its potential developments. That's a really good place for anyone to start. His website is matthewball.com 
VC. We'll put the links in the description for the show on the RSS feed. But this is also a good time to point out that there's a great deal of projection going on with the metaverse. And that everybody's viewpoint is a little coloured by their point of view about what they want it to be. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to describe it. So Mark Zuckerberg's take is different from Fortnite and different from Matthew Ball, although broadly all three see it as being largely corporate created or at least curated as a phenomenon. I would like to see more of an open source approach that the metaverse, whatever it becomes, is like the internet, that it's built on common protocols and standards that are either publicly owned or in a kind of distributed private ownership rather than concentrated uh, in the ownership of just a few mega corporations. Mm. Interestingly, though, both Fortnite and Amazon seem to be at the more open end of the, the spectrum when it comes to developing this infrastructure. That's interesting. Uh, in what sense? Well, Amazon's core business is its cloud service operation, Amazon Web Services. Mm -hmm. So if Amazon facilitates the metaverse, if it makes the tools free to uh, developers and to users, all of those companies will still be paying web services for hosting Uh, in terms of Fortnite and uh, other games-based platforms. Some of them already have metaverse-like elements. You know, they're, they're almost infinitely expandable. They allow creators to monetize content within their borders. In the case of Roblox, uh, game developers can charge directly to customers. And of course, Roblox uh, takes a cut. And a lot of them feature in-world currencies that can be taken out and converted to real-world cash, usually with the, the host company taking a transaction fee. And of course, Fortnite has its uh, Unreal Engine for coding in. And that's another key tool in the potential direction this metaverse will take. So Epic Games, the company that makes Fortnite, recently took over a company called Twinmotion. This is a a company that makes photorealistic 3D software that allows users to create uh, very realistic environments in minutes. And uh, for those who have no coding experience at all, because obviously you need coding experience to use Mm. Unreal, you need a bit more knowledge to use Twinmotion. But for people who have no coding experience at all, there's a creative mode within Fortnite that allows users to build and customize their surroundings. And just to give you an idea of the scale of the Unreal software's use, Disney's The Mandalorian is shot with the Unreal Engine, Mm. which makes green screen shooting immediate. You don't have to wait for post-production to put all those elements together. You can frame and change the backgrounds of the shot with the actors fully able to see the elements that they're supposed to be interacting with, which means it's not any less real than the painted backdrops that films have used for, you know, the last hundred years. Mm. And it's almost unimaginable that that kind of software is essentially available as a free developer tool. What do you say to uh, the people who say that the the metaverse is already here? Well, you can make a strong argument that elements of the metaverse are here. I'd argue that uh, screenless Amazon and Google-powered devices are a part of that development. You don't always need vision to augment your reality. And that ability to call up information and have it relayed by voice is, I think, a core component of what the metaverse will become as well. Mm. Of course, we've mentioned what Epic Games is planning, as well as 
companies like Roblox. During the Vergecast uh, recording, uh, Mark Zuckerberg also notes, uh, partly because of the pandemic and partly because of these metaverse-type advances, that he wants Facebook to have a decentralized hiring policy from now on, one that concentrates on talent and brings those talents remotely to the organization uh, rather than forcing them all to come to towards a, a central nodes within Facebook's organization. Mm. So essentially, the firm will be using its own virtual R&D and infrastructure to trial new working and business methods. So that's going to be a, quite a game changer because the technology will be ready to roll out for other companies to use using mm. the model that Facebook develops. Uh, often overlooked, Snapchat has been looking uh, a lot more into hardware and wearables to try and reinvent its platform. So there are metaverse ingredients there as well. So these elements, essentially this proto-metaverse, are already all around us. So what, what do you imagine the coalesced multiverse will look like? This is one area I agree uh, wholeheartedly with Matthew Ball on. I don't think we're going to see a planned metaverse, one that resembles the uh, oasis in Ready Player One. It's going to be more like the internet. It's going to be messy. It's going to be chaotic, even if it does end up being corporately controlled. Because like the internet, users are going to drive different ways to use it. Mm -hmm. And those new uses will be bolted on as inelegantly as they are within our current infrastructure. Because don't forget, Amazon started as a simple online bookstore. Yeah. Facebook started as a college connection tool. Those businesses have evolved into what they are now and not always fluidly. So I don't foresee the development of the metaverse being any less winding and irrational. Okay, we've got to wrap up, Matt, but how close do you think we are from uh, a technology standpoint? Well, we have the coding engines, we have the VR rigs, so we have that side of things. Crucially, what we're missing is that we're a long way from uh, the actual servers being able to handle the kind of traffic that the metaverse will create. So typically, when you're in any virtual type environment, you only see a handful of people. So we've heard the reports, you know, concerts in Fortnite that may attract tens of millions of live viewers, but you only really see a hundred other users in any instance of that concert. It's not millions of people attending that one concert altogether. It's broken up into chunks that servers can process. Mm -hmm. So what you're really doing is attending one of thousands of simulcasts of that event. So for a successful metaverse to thrive, we have to have that ability to be in a city of millions because that's where uh, spontaneity and connections and creativity happen right. on that street, whether it's physical or digital. And to do that, we're going to have to nail that interoperability element as well. Are we talking about in terms of a single avatar or identity? Well, yeah, you know, right now I have uh, a different logon for every service that I use. So ideally, you'd want uh, somebody to use a, a real-world persona to interact in the metaverse, to go to work, to shop, to play games. You don't stop to enter a username and password when you walk off the mall causeway and into a movie theater. Mm -hmm. So why should you be expected to do that online? So I think for us to really be at home in the metaverse 
it should reflect the seamlessness of the world that we currently live in. Thanks very much for that, Matt. Thank you, my pleasure. Of course, you can find Matt on Instagram and on Twitter at CultureMatt. You can also head over to culturepop.com for transcripts of these shows and information about CulturePop and its consulting services. And if you did miss any part of this show, don't forget you can download the podcast wherever you normally listen to it from, or you can use the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. My name is Rich Bradbury. This has been Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Tech Talk was brought to you by Cellcom Business. Get serious about cybersecurity and secure your business's digital future at business.cellcom.com.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.